Good morning. It's good to look out, see your faces. Always is. I, I have often, oftentimes, even before coming here, closed my eyes at night and seen your faces and remember your jokes. And usually I remember things that were funny that you said, instead of remembering things that were really smart. But anyway, I'm sure you said smart things too. But, but uh, you folks have, have been in my, in, in my dreams, and I'm, I'm sure will the end of my life. Well, that's the way Paul felt about the church of Philippi. He loved those people. He just loved them. And he, as an old man, can sit in a jail cell with some of the brethren so jealous of him that they're making noise so that they can get him in trouble, maybe even get the old man killed and just get rid of him. And yet he cannot help when he thinks about the church in Philippi, but 16 times use the word joy. And that high water mark that we even make a song out of he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. I mean, he couldn't help but be happy when he thought about the church at Philippi. Now, we are studying through the book of Philippians, and we've made our way, as you can tell, up on the screen, all the way to Philippians, the third chapter, verses 1 through 11. And when you get to Philippians 3, 1 through 11, you still have the general theme of joy, as he keeps that throughout the entire book. But what you have more specifically is confidence. Three times he mentions in the first half, the, the text breaks into two parts, and the first half of it, he, he mentions uh, confidence three times. In the last, last part of it, he uses synonyms for it, like, you know, that we know that we are, have that kind of assurance and so on. But you can tell that his topic at that point in time is, is none other than, at, in Philippians 3, 1 through 11, is none other than confidence. And we want to have confidence, don't we? Now, what I'm about to share with you is very personal in, in one sense. It's, it's personal in the sense that it is not historically accurate in any way. I'm not trying to be historically accurate so much. It's just that these, this is the experience that I've had within the church from, from my small child up to the present moment and noticing the way people respond and the kind of attitudes that the church has so often ha had. I was raised, of course, in the South, and of course that has a way of flavoring the kind of, of history that I have been through, uh, because I was raised there rather than raised here. But nevertheless, I think maybe you might find that there's something similar that has happened with you. And I found out in talking to people who are of other religious groups, evangelical denomination, preachers from those groups, that their experience seems to be along those lines too. And so maybe, maybe there is something that would relate to you in all of this. I recall when I first started paying attention to the church and what was going on, that we were a rather proud group of pe people. In fact, the word hubris might be used of some of our people at least because hubris is that Latin term that's usually used of pride in a negative way, you know, almost arrogance. Remember, it was back during that era that everyone was reporting how fast churches of Christ were growing and made the news. I mean, Baxter was breaking all records with Errol of Truth of people who were sending in and saying, send us in, you know, uh, send us some of your literature and so on and so forth on our own Herald of Truth. It wasn't those smaller number, numbers like were read just a little bit earlier here, you know, of, of people listening. It's the same way down in the States, too. People are not listening like they were then. But at that time, so many things were happening. Debates were being won. People were being converted. Keeble was converting whole congregations. Wonderful things were just happening, it was incredible, just incredible. And there was just a little bit, I think, a little bit more than a little bit 
of arrogance on our part because of those tremendous growth rates. We thought about how great the church was and, and so on and invited people to church and people came. But there was just something that we kind of noticed that was maybe missing there, something that was missing. This fellow, the handsome lad that you see up here, is a fellow by the name of Ben Bogart who came up with that fancy doctrine called landmarkism. He broke, broke away from the largest major denomination in the United States at that time and at this time. And when he broke away from them, he started another group and, uh, that promoted a thing called landmarkism. Let me just give it to you in a nutshell. He claimed we are the only group that can, that can trace our roots all the way back to the apostles, and so we're the only true church. And he was always debating our people. He debated Tant and, and, and other people as well, for those of you who, who know a bit of, of, of history uh, about the church. And so I'm, I'm not, I think probably not just us, but a whole lot of people. He was so successful in some ways. He wasn't against us and really... Well, he just really had a, a thing for those that people he called the Campbellites. That's what he would call us. And that became popularized because of him probably to a large extent. Wrote a, wrote a poem that was so scathing that one of the lines in that poem, you can look it up on the net if you want to, just look up, just Ben Bogart. Anyway, one of the lines in that just said, don't think that any of the Campbellites will ever go to heaven. They're just, they're just not. I mean, such a scathing rebuke against us but I can't help but think that during that debate era, some of that arrogance might have rubbed off. Let me be real quick to point out, even though I haven't mentioned Ben Bogart's denomination, that they have come a long way since then. They ha do not have the same arrogance that they once had. Maybe God has been working with them to teach them a few things too. But as time goes by, I have found out that God just gave us a pretty good sound thumping if in the 60s, 50s and 60s we were growing, as time goes back in the 70s and the 80s and so on, as time continues, we find out that there's more stagnation. And if maybe we have not learned, did not learn during that era some humility, I've noticed a pattern, at least in my life, that when the Lord can't get me to humble me, humble me down, He can at least humiliate me. And then maybe the humility will come later. And I think maybe that's what has, hap has happened within when our great brotherhood, that there has been some humiliation, and we found out that our numbers were not what they were. Sure, you know, we were the South, if I can be that way, the Southern United States, Southeastern United States. And sure, we were finding out from the Christian Chronicle that, that churches were growing in faster, the churches of Christ, in other parts of the world than they, that they had known to do before. I remember an article that said, guess what? We have become a world church in the way you look at it, the way it is. You know, you talk about Africa and India and places like that. But the South was languishing, and North America was languishing. And it was not just us, it was the evangelicals at large, those, those religious groups that were closest to us. They were languishing as well. And maybe the Lord was working in our lives. I believe he is. Because at this point in time, what is happening is that, that, it, you, that you're not sitting here because you say, Boy, if I, if I come to church, everybody in the world is going to think how glorious it is. There was a time when I could say, I'm a preacher. And everybody would say, that's great, that's wonderful, even on college campus. But now, if you say you're a preacher or something like that, it's more like people kind of, kind of walk away. It, it's a different story. If you're here, it's because you love the Lord. It's not because you think that everybody's going to bow down to you as, as if you're great. I think the Lord has been working in our lives. I believe he's taught us something maybe that has to do with honest to goodness humility 
that looks like the heart of Jesus. Maybe this is just wishful thinking on my part, but I don't think so. Because when you turn on radio programs, you turn on television programs that are sponsored by, by our brethren, you find out that there's so much grace in them, there's so much love, that somehow or another we've discovered that maybe the Lord's trying to tell us something. I like that old song. It's, a, it's an old spiritual. Look it up on the net if you, you can find it. Uh, it's just, it's really neat. Maybe the Lord is trying to tell us something. And I believe in the providence of God. I believe that he works with, within our history, that our history is, as so many believers say, is not just history, but his story. That's the way it's spelled. And that our story is his story because he's been working our lives to bring us to a point in time in which we have not an arrogance that's built on ignorance, but an arrogance that's built on the foundation that God wanted us to have, the foundation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that brings us to our text, which comes into two parts, the first part and the last part, with B-U-T right in the middle. You can't miss it because I've got it in red, right? And so read this with me, and I think you'll see that the theme of our lesson today in our text, Philippians 3, 1 through 11, is without a doubt that God wants us to be a confident people. He wants us to be confident. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you. He's told them this before. Beware of the dogs, the evil workers, the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I used to brag about, those things, but, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of mine own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Uh, the outline for our lesson is just, I believe, just a simple one. It's telling you how to build confidence. And it tells you in a twofold way. It's telling you this is the way that some people build confidence, and this is the way that other people build confidence. And the one kind of works, but the other one eternally works. And it's the only one that's right. The one is more like arrogance, but the other one is true humility made in the very image of Jesus Christ, and it's the one that's going to give you confidence that will not just carry you through the, the, uh, the good times, but will carry you through the most hellish experiences that you could ever imagine that you might go through. This confidence will keep you going, will keep you standing for the Lord. The way of the flesh then, but there is also the way of the Messiah, the way of the Lord. 
It is really, if you read this very closely, the same old standoff theologically that you read that's the theme of Galatians and Ephesians, you see it, and you see it certainly in the book of Romans. It's a face-off between people who in a, a Phariseeistic way try to be saved by law and good works and those people who say, I'll never make it that way. I have to be saved the publican way by the grace of God, by the gospel. It's the same old theological standoff. It's nothing profound but it is, of course, because it makes all the difference in the world, in your eternity, and in your real confidence, in your real assurance, that blessed assurance that we sing about. Let's look at the wrong way, first of all. When you look in the mirror every once in a while, uh, it, it, it's funny to me that, 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 my, they were, that Kathy was taking my picture a little bit early. I avoid mirrors and pictures and things like that. And then I looked at the picture, and I thought, what an old guy that is. I mean, you you... you that sort of thing, it's not the way it was when you're young, though. When you're young, you can look at yourself and say, what a good-looking guy, you know, that kind of thing, especially young married, arrogance, and all of that stuff. That kind of, kind of hits you. And some of us can kind of look in the mirror, and we're really a pussycat, but we think we're lying, you know, that sort of thing. And that's kind of the sort of thing that happened with the Apostle Paul. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, Paul writes, to write the same things again. I know I just read this, but I want you to get it. It's no problem to me to read it to you twice. It was no problem to Paul to repeat it several times. He says to them, you know, I can repeat these things. He says, beware, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I, I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, he says, you want to do some bragging? I can do that. I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. I'm no Gentile. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, man of man, men. As to the law, a Pharisee, no stinking Sadducee, or even worse, a Herodian. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. I believed in what I was doing. As to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. Nobody ever one time, not once was there ever a scandal about me. Nobody said, you know what Paul, Saul of Tarsus did? In the eyes of people, I was pure. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, you want to brag? I can brag like that. Now, even as I read that, and, and he's doing that on purpose, without a doubt, because he thinks that people will listen to that and be a little bit disgusted by that kind of discussion, that kind of talk. And it brings me back to a friend of mine when I'd been first as a young preacher, and I went back to Woodbury, Tennessee, where I was born and raised, and ran into a, a friend of mine by the name of Tommy, and Tommy was talking about a meeting that he went to that, that a preacher who had become kind of popular, shall we say, throughout the South, and he was always coming through that area around Woodbury and holding meetings. And Tommy said, uh, he, he always says the same kind of thing, and I can't remember, of course, the exact words, but they sounded something like this to me as I tried, tried to recall them, is that the preacher in his meetings would say, I was baptized at a young age, was born and raised in the southern United States, in the south. I'm from a family of believers and the mainstream members of the churches of Christ, the mainstream group, and God has used me to bring many people to Christ. Literally true. I have, I've never smoked a cigarette, never taken a drink of alcohol. It seemed about that time, as I remember the way ta Tommy told the story, that he was able to say so many things that he'd never done. You know, maybe a bad word, never done this, never done this. Tommy said, if he comes through and does another meeting like that this year, I'm going to puke. 
I didn't know whether to be surprised, <laughs> like yourself, I didn't know whether to be surprised or, or what. But because this guy was so serious and just such a faithful member of the church, but he said he just, just intuitively knew as a young man that there's something the matter with that. I don't care how popular he is. I don't care how, how much he can quote long passages of Scripture. I don't care. There's something the matter with that kind of talk. Sounds too much like the, public, the Pharisee and not enough like the publican is really the problem with that sort of thing. And so it is that in my growing up years, even though I was not a Christian, I, I wasn't a Christian during those years. I, I don't know why it took me so long to, to give my life to the Lord, but I didn't. I didn't. Only in my late teenage years did I come to, later teenage years did I come to the Lord. But nevertheless, I had a kind of, it kind of rubbed off on me because after all, everybody that was important, all the, let me tell you the way it was. The class president went to the church where I went to. The, all the cheerleaders went there. I mean, it was, it was like the doctor that you go to. He's at the Church of Christ there on Sunday. Half the people in town went to the Church of Christ up there on the hill, it seemed like to me. I thought that's what it was. Maybe it was more like 800 versus 2,000, but we had probably 10 congregations just right around the area. You know, there's more than half the town would be sitting on a pew within churches of Christ, there was an arrogance there. And so I could walk around and say, now my people go to the church of Christ. And it was the church, the church, the church. That was the big emphasis, the church of Christ. Oh, I, don't, I don't think that was probably good for me. It certainly didn't get me acting right. It certainly get, didn't cause me to repent and become a member of God's body. Well, that's the way it was, though. We were the church of Christ. Something's the matter with that. And Paul, I think, would say, here's what the problem is, that the emphasis is in the wrong place. That we need to be building confidence through the Lord Jesus the Christ. And our main confidence that can never be taken away from us, as any gospel preacher who's worth his salt should tell you, always has to do with Jesus, first of all, and secondly, the death of burial and resurrection, the one message that was preached everywhere as Paul proclaimed it. You see the kind of confidence that it can give you even if you get old and weak and you notice that you, you don't look like you used to, you can't do the things. There's so many of my sentences this, these days that begin with, with two words, I can't, because I can't do that anymore and I can't do that anymore and I can't do that anymore. And maybe it's the Lord's way of working in our lives that we get older, that we quit trusting in how great we are in the flesh, how, how pretty we are. You know, remember Muhammad Ali was always saying, I'm so pretty, you know. Maybe we've kind of gotten over that. And we're not, instead of thinking that, we're thinking, well, look what Christ has done for me. That's the only thing that's going to carry you to the jumping off place when it's time to meet the Lord to the grave. It's to know, first of all, that Jesus Christ died and was buried and was resurrected for you, that you are so important. You need to have this kind of confidence, that you are so important to him, as the old-time preachers used to say, and I believe it's true, that you are so important to him that if he knew that he had to die for you and you alone, he would die and be buried and resurrected for you. And then he asks you, with his last, some of his last words on the planet, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He wants you to believe that he died and was buried and was resurrected for you, and he wants you to be baptized. He wants you to die and be buried and resurrected for him. So that you have so much confidence that no matter how weak you are, no matter how old you get, that you say the bottom line is Jesus Christ died for me, 
I died for him, symbolically, at the point of baptism, in simple faith to him, so that when I die and they bury me out here, I will be resurrected forever with him. That's the only thing that can't be taken away. That is your eternal confidence. Anything else, I, I remember a friend of mine who used to brag about the things of the flesh, and everybody knew that he was just kind of insecure, but you know what we would keep doing to him? He put himself up on a pedestal. We just kept kicking the pedestal out from under him and pointing out to the fact that his car is a piece of junk, he's ugly, he can't get a date, and so on and so forth, and he's got pimples, you know? And, and I know that was rude of us. I was, hardly any, I was hardly a Christian at the time, but that's what we do to people like that, who are all the time trying to put themselves up high, right, like they're better than everybody else. That is no way to build confidence. We cannot build confidence. Paul says, that's the wrong way. That's the way of the flesh. But no matter what happens to you, if you're a child of God, and you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that one day you will die and be buried and, and resurrected, that confidence can never be taken away from you. I've spent too much time explaining it instead of letting Paul do the, do the talking here. He says, but... Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, dung. One translation, a paraphrase, says dog dung. It wants to make sure that you don't miss that Paul uses a bit of a crude word here. I mean, he's just worked up in a kind of a... a, a, a a righteous indignation sort of thing. He says, it is garbage in any way you look at it, all of that old bragging stuff that I used to do, he says. I count it but, but, but rubbish, dung, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, Christ, not having a righteous of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, so that I may know Christ, so that I might have this confidence of knowing him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection, Christ's resurrection, and the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, being conformed to Christ, his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Can you see that last part there? Up here, it's all, if, if you want to re-experience this, he's just said, Christ, 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 him, him, and you know, he said Christ so many times, and it finally just goes into him. You know who he's talking about, and then he brings up the resurrection. That's where it is. The death, burial, and the resurrection. It's, everybody gets to die. Everybody gets buried just about. But the resurrection part of the gospel, that is the whole point, is that one day we will come forth. Do you believe that message? And have you died and been buried and resurrected for Jesus Christ through simple baptism, through simple faith? Because if you have, you should have a confidence that, that the devil from hell himself is not going to be able to take away from you. If God, if I were standing here and being and clothed in my right mind the way I ought to be, if the devil himself, suddenly I was aware that it was Satan walking in the front door and suddenly I heard a still small voice and realized, that's Jesus talking to me. And Jesus said, you go over there and take his head off with the sword. I would just go, if I was what I ought to be, have the kind of confidence his head would be on the ground as fast as I could get there, even if I didn't have a sword. It'd be like Marshall Keeble who said, if the Lord told me to run through that wall, Keeble would say, it'd be up to me to do the running and up to the Lord to make the hole. And it would be up to the Lord to give me a sword before I got there. As fast as I could get to him, I'd have what I needed to take that old devil's head off. But if I started getting proud along the way, thinking, I can do this, I can, I'm dead. 
But like David, we say, man, Goliath, you just spoke against the Lord. I couldn't handle this at all, but, but you've spoken against the Lord, and the Lord's going to put that rock in the right place. See, there's a, there's, there's a subtle difference. The devil's always trying to sell you something cheap, the 666, to those in the Revelation class. And we're looking for the real seven, the real thing. And when we've got the real thing, we have a confidence that simply cannot be taken away from us. And therefore, we are members of the church of Christ. That's who we are. It's all about Christ. I don't care what we call, we sell, call ourselves the church of Christ. It would better be with a little C as far as I'm concerned. Otherwise, we've turned it into a denominational name. We're the disciples of Christ. But it's the Christ. We are, we are members. The earliest name for, for our people who were trying to follow the New Testament simply was the way. And that's the word hados. And guess what Jesus said? He says, I am the hados. I am the way. It's all about Christ. When you call yourself something, call yourself individual, a disciple of Christ, or call yourself a Christian, C-H-R-I-S-T, you cannot spell Christian without putting Christ at the beginning of that. That is no accident. That's the way it is in the original scriptures. It is so much about Christ, and when we focus on Him in general, and more specifically that He died and was buried and was resurrected for us, we have a confidence that can't be taken away from us even when the doctor comes in with his head down and says, I regret to tell you that, so on. Because we know that we belong to him. That's who I am. It's the very spiritual DNA of my soul. Simple enough lesson, but trying to do it is always the way it is. People with that confidence, like my buddy I was telling you about, we always, when he got all puffed up and he's puffed himself up, somebody could find a needle somewhere to go and put him in his place. Really, he turned out to be a pretty good guy. You know, I'm probably quit, quit acting that way. And became a Christian, by the way. And I think probably found out where the real confidence should come from. But that doesn't work very good. After Christ, it's a different story, though. I can do all things through Christ. Don't you like that one? I can do all things through Christ. What's the matter with that? You can't do, you know, I'm sorry. I, uh, I meant to stop it. I can do all things. What's the matter with I can do all things? Because there are people who quote it about like that. It's all about me. You can't do diddly nor squat. And I can't either. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He'll give me, if he wants me to do it, he'll give me the strength and the ability to be able to do it. Now, when you start looking at, at a simple doctrine like this, you find out that it's the same doctrine that Paul uses, the law against the gospel that's all throughout the entire New Testament. But you also, somebody was asking me just this week how to, how to try to reach out and win people to the Lord. It suddenly occurred to me that this is really the best way that you could ever reach out and, and try to teach people by just this simple before and after. We are people that, that probably kind of worry about testifying too much because we've heard people testify and their stories get kind of big and out of control. But the book of Acts makes it plain that it's a testimony book. It's the only book in the Bible. The book of Acts is the only book in the Bible that gives us testimonies of how people got saved. There is no other book that tells you how, some, how people got saved because Luke is writing a fellow by the name of Theophilus who was not a Christian. And he's writing to old Theophilus, who was a dignitary and important, probably had a lot of power to be able to help our cause or hurt our cause. And so, so 
Timoth or rather Luke is writing him and telling him the stories of people and how they got saved. And this is a format for everybody. It was, it was before and it was after. And the stories all went something like this, including Paul's story that was told three times. It was such a wonderful testimony to people and to, to Theophilus to tell them how to get saved. It says, before this is what I was, Paul would say. I was someone who persecuted the saints. I didn't believe in Christ. I would have killed a Christian if I got my hands on them. In fact, I took them, dragged them back to Jerusalem to, to be able to stand trial. And, and although the Jews didn't have a right to put them to death, they had a way of finding some zealot out in a back lot somewhere that could deal with the problem if we wanted it done. That's just the kind of thing that would have likely have gone on. He says, but, the but that we've been looking at here that changes everything, I met Jesus. I met Jesus. And he sent me to a fellow by the name of Ananias said, said, and taught me all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then I was baptized. He said, arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, Acts 22, verse 16. And that's what I did. And then from then on out, I have been, I have, this is the after. I went from being someone who was back there just a cat to being a, to being a lion on, on the Lord's side because he was on my side. And so God has done these things through his power, through somebody as, as old and weak as I have waited this late in life to finally get it right. And yet God has decided to work through an old man like me who was Saul of Tarsus, and now is Paul, the apostle. Kind of reminds me of another wonderful story in John chapter 9 where that blind man, you remember that blind man's story? That blind man, they, they dragged him before the Sanhedrin because Jesus had healed him and they, they wanted him to, to somehow say something that would trip him up and, and, and he tried to, they tried to trip his parents up too about his being born blind. Have you really been born blind? Did this really happen? All these kind of things that you expect kind of a Pharisee to, to do to him. And finally, he says, what's well, a strange thing to me that you guys can't figure out who, where Jesus came from? You say, we don't know where he came from. It's a strange thing to me that you don't know this in as much as, as here you're looking at a blind man and who couldn't see and now I see. Why can't you just put two and two together and say that, that equals four? It's just about that simple, that Jesus had to be from God or he wouldn't be able to make a blind man see. In a nutshell, what that guy did is the same thing we're talking about here. He says, all I know is that I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. What's your testimony? If your testimony sounds like I was walking along and I saw something up in the clouds, you don't read anything about that in the book of, of, of Acts. I mean, that, where, do you, where do you read about anything like that? Your testimony should sound like the testimonies that we read in the book of Acts. Your testimony should sound like, this is the way I was before, without just the unvarnished facts. Don't try to make it bigger or smaller. Just be honest. Tell people about that. But I learned the truth, and through the providence of God, I, was, I, I studied God's word and, and, and found out that he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism saves us. I read passages like that. That's what your story should sound like. Which reminds me, maybe I could tell you just briefly my own story, if you don't mind. Moved away from Arkansas, all that pride and arrogance of 
Well, I lived in Gannon County. This day, I just noticed recently somebody referred to it as Gannon County. We had Gannons everywhere, all over the place. I was a member of the, I wasn't a member. I, was, I went to the Church of Christ. My people were, were that and went to the main, main, most of them went to the main group and so on. Well, at any rate, all that pride and stuff. But they moved me off to Arkansas. And there was a football player who caught me looking at his girlfriend a little bit too close when I got to there, and he was about twice as big as I was. And I tried myself to kind of bluff my way with my natural good looks and all, but that wasn't working too good. And I thought he was going to kill me, just to be quite honest. And so I went through, in my eyes, being a hero to a zero. But in that moment of humiliation, I, when my mother would drag me off to church the few times she could get me there, I actually listened to old Larry, Larry Culbert's sermon. But even at the time when I was kind of in the summers working with a, a preacher, who, by the way, that preacher was a member, had, had been influenced by Ben Bogart. You remember the lovely picture that you saw earlier, the landmark guy and all that who started his own denomination? That, he was a preacher for that group. And he was trying to give me his testimony and get me saved as I worked there at the shirt factory. And I'd say, you know, my people, they're all, we go to the church of Christ. He says, I know that. In fact, he knew so much about it, it's hard to believe. So finally I asked him, I said, you know a lot about us. Why do they teach that you've got to be baptized? He says, Mark 16, 16, they, they take that. He says, he that believes that he's baptized shall be saved. And I said, I had a little white Bible. I got in a 10-cent store for 50 cents with Jesus' picture on the front. Remember those in the, in the, on the first page? You remember those? I don't know if you had them up here back in those years. But anyway, I don't underline that passage. 1 Peter 3, 21, baptism saves us. Thanks, Reuben. I underlined that. His name was Reuben. And so I underlined that one. And Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says that's where they get that you have to believe and then be baptized, then you're saved. Then you repent and you're baptized, you receive the forgiveness of sins. You get baptized, you're saved, those passages. I said, Reuben, it sounds like that's what it's saying. Reuben must have had, he was, had a light complexion, and he just kind of lit up, turned red. I knew, I knew immediately that, that this was kind of, but he says, I have just converted myself a member of the Church of Christ. And sure enough, it was a short period of time before I was baptized by your Christ. I was, I was, I guess, influenced more by Ben Bogart's people than I was by, by, by some of my own in some ways, in, at least at that moment in time. But that's my story. I, and then I became a Christian, had a, a little bit of a problem in college for a short while. That only lasted a couple, two, three, two or three months where I flirted with agnosticism. But, when I, but that became such a blessing when I started reading the prophets that I said, I'm not going to just be a Christian, I'm going to be a preacher. And here I am. For better or worse, this is what you've got. And this is where I've been all that time. That's my story. And like the old song says, I'm sticking to it. That's the before and that's the after. What's your before and after? If you don't have a story, if you don't have a story, you need to make things right with the Lord and make the same stories that were told by God's people in Acts, the only book that tells those testimony stories, make that your story. And uh, I'm sure that there will be men here that will be Dale and others that would be more than glad to just, just help you in any way they could about making your life right. Well, I know I would. Any, anything I can do to it.